Hi everyone, time for a disclaimer. The information contained in this episode is not intended to be personal financial advice. You should always seek the advice of a professional before making any financial decisions and always do your own research. Let's get into the episode. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money Boy. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money, and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. And today, you're in for a treat. We've got a, a guest of us. Her name is Lola, and that's Lola from Adulting by Lola. But before we get into all of that, you know the drill by now. Some of you listening are yet to subscribe. Wherever you're listening now, whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify, or anywhere else you can hear my voice, click like, click subscribe, and also, if you're on an Apple device, head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. It really helps people find a podcast. And also, someone went out and put a two-star review by a reason. So I need a bunch of five-star reviews to counteract that one. So head over now, and thank you very much. Also, a quick reminder for those of you who don't know, we have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that lets you support creators. So if you believe in our mission of reaching millions of people around the globe with life-changing financial information like we do every single week, head over to Patreon and join the movement. Without further ado, I told you we had an illustrious guest on the show. We only have illustrious guests. Like, like I tell you every week, illustrious is the number one qualifying trait of all of our guests. So to put it in perspective, we have Lola. Lola from Adulting by Lola. And she is head of people at a multi-million pound recruitment firm. She had a past life as a chartered accountant. But to be fair, today we're talking about making money. We're talking about career change. And she's precisely the person we need, given her position as head of people at a multi-million pound recruitment firm. Said it twice, just so you remember. Secondly, she's got a background. She's got a background in consulting. She's worked for the likes of Deloitte and the Boston Consulting Group, which if you know anything about consulting, they're a pretty big deal. And lastly, she runs her brand Adulting by Lola, which is where she reviews CVs and gives career advice to people alongside running Adulting Fest, which helps people get the most out of their career. But more than that, helps you figure out this life of being an adult. Lola, it's a pleasure to have you here. You're the first anonymous guest we've had. You will lead us to the Madonnas and Beyonces of the world. <laughs> How does it feel to be on Black Millennial Money today? Yeah, it feels really good. Um, it's so funny. I always say that to people. They're like, is there a last name? I'm like, no, just like Madonna, Beyonce, Rihanna. They all actually have last names, but they don't use them like me. But it's awesome to be here. Um, I've done a few podcasts before, but this is probably the one I'm most excited about because it does have a black focus and it's something that I'm very uh, interested and excited about. And you got the best intro, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you really, I mean, I don't want to say oversold, but you really sold it. <laughs> you've got the receipts i don't i don't i don't make anything no, no, no. The, the, the receipts are there the receipts are there okay so as it's tradition on the show by now we the people are not just here listening to experts and people who know what they're talking about we also want to get to know people so lola what are the three things we should know about you mm, okay so first thing i am a true crime buff i spend all my time when I'm not working or doing stuff that I have to do, like watching crime documentaries, listening to true crime podcasts, mainly about serial killers, which seems a bit dark, but it's more about like the psychology element of it. 
um everybody always thinks it's really weird i remember when i was with uh my boyfriend ex-boyfriend uh boyfriend of the time uh, i used to watch this show called snapped and it was all about women that kind of kill their husbands and boyfriends and he would be like why are you watching this and i'd be like this is it's really interesting and i'm not going to kill you I, I just i don't plan to so um i have no plans to act on it although i do feel like if i were to kill someone i'd probably get away with it because i've studied it enough but i would never do that because i'm a really nice person um that's the first thing <laughs> second thing you're thinking is she gonna say she's crazy no um <laughs> you probably realized that already um but i'm super into travel like I know it's kind of like a cliche thing to say, but I really, really, really love traveling. Like I am all about kind of saving money, investing money, being sensible, but I probably would spend my last penny on a holiday. I just love like exploring new places, getting to meet new people, like going to see like amazing like architecture. Like I've been to, like, I've seen the Taj Mahal, Angkor Wat, like, you know, Niagara Falls, all of that kind of stuff that you're just like, this is actually awesome. So that's it. And I'm like, what's something else? Um, I'm the youngest of four, so I'm the baby. Probably in the background here, you'll probably be able to see uh, a family photo. But yeah, I'm the baby. I'm the youngest of four. Um, youngest and the best. You know, they stopped when they got to uh, finish products. <laughs> <laughs> they stopped when they got to the finished my, product. My siblings actually used to tell me, like, very regularly that I was adopted. <laughs> <laughs> but we all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it wasn't true but they used to tell me all the time that I was adopted they actually once told me my two brothers I've got two brothers and a sister and I'm the youngest um my two brothers once told me that I had a twin <laughs> wow um which is probably why how I ended up so obsessed with twins but yeah I don't have a twin unfortunately but though my mum is a twin okay okay so now we know a little bit about you so the personality shone through a lot there so you're obsessed with watching serial killers and cults we're not going to read too much into that at all. I think your ex-boyfriend, I think your ex-boyfriend answered that question for us. And we hope he's still around to tell the story. Um, you love traveling Taj Mahal, Niagara Falls. Okay, so you've been to places because, again, sometimes people say they love traveling. And it's like Malia, Magaluf. And, um... I mean, I've been to Malia. I did my first, like, my first <laughs> friend's holiday in Malia when I was 17. Um, but now I, I go for it slightly more sophisticated style of travel <laughs> no comment and you are the youngest and best of four siblings your parents stopped iterating when they got to you um exactly. i'm not going to debate that point with you at all so lola now that we know a little bit about you it's time to get really into the subject matter of this episode now for those of you who are unfamiliar with the format of the shows we talk about money from a different angle every single week so we're either talking about making money keeping money investing money or spending it this week we're talking about making money we have a career focus this week and we're trying to help you figure out how you can either change your career or level up in your career and there will be mention of something that's happening around the world and right now that's affecting all of us that may have made us all stay at home for the past x number of months we are not going to mention it by name because YouTube is demonetizing videos that do. So from here on out, any reference to that thing that we all know what I'm talking about is going to be called the illness. So Lola, given everything that's happening in the world right now and in general, what do recruiters want and how can the listeners and I give it to them when it comes time for us to change our jobs for whatever reason that may be, illness or not? Um, I think first and foremost, regardless of whatever's happening in the world, illness or not, the first thing is always going to be kind of competence, right? Do they feel 
that you can do the job. The person who is reviewing your CV, whether that's um, a recruiter that works for the business or an external recruiter that works for an agency, they're going to want to look at your CV and think, okay, first and foremost, can this person do the job? If they don't feel like you can now or that you would be able to, you know, with some training or something, then you're not going to get very far. So the very first thing is competence and that should be demonstrated on your CV or yeah, it's, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to progress. So that's, that's what I'd say is, is, is going to be key. Okay. So competence is the beginning and that's, that's the first place. Um, okay. So with someone who works in recruitment, what are things that get you really excited about a candidate? What are the things that you will see maybe on a CV or an application that say, oh, okay, so maybe you might be onto something here? Um, I think anything around communication. So communication is something that you can do live, but it's also something that you can do on paper. You know, not just kind of communication as in can you write good grammar and stuff like that, but can you tell a story? Um, telling, storytelling is so important in, in so many aspects of work, but storytelling on your CV is really important. So often people have these CVs where people can't necessarily invest in them because they don't know what the story is. They haven't framed it. They haven't got a good personal summary, which says kind of, this is who I am. And when you can like put together a really good story, it helps people to feel like, okay, you know, this person would be a good communicator. This person is already telling me this story. I want to meet this person and learn more about this person and engage with this person. And then kind of, as and when you get the interview, being able to communicate at that stage in a different way is also important. When you're going through a recruitment process, it's all about building rapport, building a relationship. You might come into this organization two or three times throughout the process or have two or three touch points, whether that's a, um, a first interview on the telephone or a screening call and a first interview and a second interview. And so even though you might be meeting different people, they'll be speaking to each other. And, you know, you are you're sort of courting the business, right? So you should be getting to know these people, giving them good opportunities to get to know you. And fundamentally, when people are meeting people, on top of thinking, OK, can the person do the job that I need them to do? They're also going to think, um, do I want to work with this person? Doesn't mean you have to be best friends. Doesn't mean that you have to be just like them. But they're going to want to know, okay, are they going to be able to talk to you without feeling awkward? Are you, are you going to be able to have some level of social conversation? Are you going to be able to pick up on their cues and, you know, build and develop on them and all of that sort of thing? So communication is super important and not just, you know, verbal communication, eye contact, the boring stuff like storytelling building relationships stakeholder management all of that good stuff okay so communicating from your cv right to the interview stage um what what happens if you're not someone who's maybe an extrovert how do you overcome that in the in the in the face-to-face -face bit because you must have interviewed or been around interviews for tons of different types of people how do you how would you recommend someone who isn't effervescent in their communication navigates it yeah so when it comes to I think sometimes people misunderstand that when it comes to intro, being introverted and extroverted yeah maybe if you're an extrovert you you know you might be more comfortable in that sort of situation but usually um interviews are one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two kind of thing so um you should even as an introvert, you can still let you, you can still let your personality show. You can still, you know, share information about yourself. Even if it's uncomfortable for you, you may think, okay, you know, who am I? Think about your story before you go in. What are a few things that I want to share? Make sure you research the people that you're going to meet on LinkedIn because there may be something that you have in common with them that you keep in your back pocket and bring up when it makes sense. If you're not kind of 
a kind of more naturally bubbly person who will just pick up on something. So if it, if doing the research and stuff like that helps you feel more comfortable, then definitely do that. But even as an introvert, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to kind of share a little bit about yourself, even on the phone, right? So if you're a recruiter, you get a CV, you think, okay, this person looks like they could do the job. Let's find out a little bit more about them. You get on the phone and then, you know, even things like smiling, yeah, when you're, um, speaking to a recruiter it makes all the difference you could be saying the exact same thing and if you're smiling you just you sound like a happier person even as an introvert I mean I'm hoping the introverts smile yeah (laughs) I know that they do because I have lots of friends that are are introverted so um even small things like that there's small social cues and social things that help people to feel like okay you're an open person I want to work with you you have good communication so it doesn't have to necessarily be like you're in the room you're juggling you're doing backflips you know telling about your story you know that's not my wife that's my car all those sorts of dead jokes it doesn't have to be like that got you got you so communication and you I feel like you touched on some on another one in that space as well where it's it's about your confidence that this person could potentially do the job could you expand on that a little bit um so I might actually talk about another one and and I'll kind of bring that in so I guess the third thing I would mention that is really important is to have a level of flexibility right um and so I for instance when I'm recruiting I'm not necessarily interested in what you have done before that's important but that's not the be all and end all I'm most interested in what you can what you could do right so that's what I mean by being competent you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you've done every single activity that you'll have to do in this role before it means that you're able to convey to me via your CV or via our interview or whatever that you you know you have the raw materials (laughs) that it takes to um that it takes to do this role so that's what I mean competent competent doesn't mean competent in this specific thing right now it means an overall level of competence um and you know somebody who has a lot of transferable skills is even better because then they can be used in different ways you can think okay right now you can do this but actually you know if my business were to change I feel like you would be flexible enough to also fit in this area or fit in that area or also do this task and all of that comes kind of is kind of flexibility and competence together mm. if that makes so, sense yes I- so from what I'm getting from you, communication, competence, which can be expressed in literally having the skills for this specific job, because there are certain, certain roles that like, you can't for be sure. a doctor without studying a doctor. Yeah, of you know? um, but there is a level of flexibility and adaptability that, you, that shows you have, you can be more than one thing to this business. Mm-hmm. So if you've got all three of those, presumably you're a triple threat and you're a shoe in potentially for this job not a guarantee but it, it sets you, you up your, right. your chances are your chances are really, really good because then you know the person thinks you could do the job they think you know not only could you do this job now but as the company grows or as the business adapts you could support going forward and they also feel like you know your communication is good you'll you'll do well in the business with other people and they also want to work with you so you, you mean, what else is really left? Uh, it's all about kind of how proficient, then it will get to the point how proficient you're going to be at certain things or, you know, how do you know a specific software or, you know, can you travel or, do you know what I mean? But once they've gotten to the place where they believe that you're competent and you're flexible and you have good communication, there's not that much that's left in order for um, barriers to overcome, if you will. Okay, okay. So we covered the things that get you excited, but what are some consistent errors that people make when it comes to applying for jobs? 
Um, I would say, I would say CVs, like just CVs are hard, right? So people are kind of mistaken into thinking that, you know, doing a CV is easy. Um, it takes a lot of time. It's not hard in terms of it can't be done. It's hard as it requires a lot of time and effort and thought to go into it. It's not like an easy job. Um, and so what I see often is people applying with really generic CVs, CVs that are not tailored. So let's say, you know, I'm going to go for a HR consultant role, right? But I had also been looking at, you know, business analyst roles. If I see an HR consultant role and I'm like, hey, I've been looking at BA roles, but this HR consultant role looks really good. And then I apply for the HR consultant role with my BA role. I'm not going anywhere because on that, there's, there'll be, there's no way that CV for a business analyst role is going to be as convincing to the person, the hiring manager or the recruiter reading it than it would if it, if it specifically said, I'm into HR roles. These are the specific um, skills and experience that I have that relate to HR uh, consultancy and all of this other kind of stuff. So you know, sometimes people just think, okay, I've got a good CV, but a CV is only as good as, it's only good for a specific job, right? And CVs need to be tailored. So I think that's it. And also just having CVs that don't necessarily articulate how good you are. So I do a lot of CV reviews and I always find it like so surprising. It doesn't matter how many times I've done it. I'll be speaking to someone. Let's say I'm speaking to you. Super articulate, you know, I'm thinking... And whatever you do at work, you're welcome. Whatever you do at work, I'm sure you're great at it. You know, you're in your marketing bag or doing whatever you're doing, right? And then I look at your CV and then your CV just looks like a shopping list of activities. It says, I do this at work. I do this at work. I do this at work. There's no tangible achievements. I can't evidence impact. There's no numbers in the CV. So actually, even though you in person have all the skills and probably very competent to do the job, I would never be able to know that because you haven't told me, you haven't showed me, there's no story, there's no nothing. Um, and that is even if you're in a marketing role and you want to go for another marketing role, you still need to do that. It's even more important when you're trying to do, when you're trying to pivot. Yeah. So whether you're going to go for a whole career change, or you're going to go into a slightly different area of what you're doing at the moment. If you can't tell the story and you can't explain your skills, it's going to be much more difficult for you than it would for somebody who already had um, experience in that area. So that's probably that is going to be the key one. There's the, a the few, but the whole, um, you know, not selling yourself on your CV is like it's, it's, an, it's a really common one. So talk to me about some some telltale signs that someone hasn't not invested enough time in their cv or thought less than that it's more about thought about the person reading it what kind of things generally speaking do you find where it's like you're a recruiter but this person has written it expecting me to be a someone who has a doctorate degree in computer science or something yeah so i always say to people um, it doesn't matter what you've done, unless it's super simple. If you were a checkout assistant at Tesco, most people are going to know what that is. But if you've done something else, you can't assume that everyone's going to know what that is. And you can't assume that the person who's reading your CV is going to be able to know that as well. So even though you, you might do something technical and the person who's recruiting, they might have a level of technical expertise in order to enough to help them recruit, but they might not be able to understand all the same lingo and stuff as you do. So if you're saying, you know, I was a, I don't know, a, technician specialist if that's even a job yeah at this company and then you start listing your duties the first thing I'm looking at and as a recruiter reviewing your CV team what did you even do <laughs> there's no context to the the list of duties that you're listing here and even as you're listing them if I don't understand the context in which these duties were done it means nothing to me 
So you could say, hey, I was a technician specialist at ABC Limited, where my goal was to work with the technical team to make sure that, you know, they were able to troubleshoot issues that came from the business in a timely way. I don't know. Right. And then when you say, oh, yeah, then I worked with my stakeholders to resolve issues that adds some color. Like I know what that means now, whereas before I didn't know what that meant. And then you're like, yeah, I worked with the widgets to make sure that the flow wouldn't overload. And then I did this and this. And like, you know, if there's technical language in there or business specific language, I may not necessarily understand it. So I've seen CVs where they've listed the duties. What they said is not wrong on their CV, but I don't know what you did. Like, I don't actually know what your job was. (laughs) Uh, And I see that really often. So I'm like, if a a recruiter can't really tell when they're having to guess what your job was, they're not going to spend, they're not going to spend the time and effort. They don't know you to continue reading. There's no reason for them to do that. They're just going to think this CV is really confusing and they're going to move on. So also, I guess the tip for all the geniuses out there, like if you're like, I don't know, if you're in cybersecurity, don't say GDPR, ISO 2008, say what you actually did that involved those things. So for the less genius people like us and recruiters who are reading this, they actually maybe have some context as to how that applied and what the benefit was. Yeah. I mean, there are some, there are some things that like, if you're a software engineer and you want to write coding languages, that makes complete sense. Right. And there are some things which within your industry, everybody is going to know. And the people who are briefed and who may not be technical, but even they're going to know that those things are going to be in your CV. But there are things that are very business specific or maybe called different things in different businesses. Or actually, if you're applying for a role, which is not in the same kind of place that you were before, you want to just make it as broad as possible and make it as understandable um, as you can. And actually, that's a really good skill that you, to have um, to be able to explain technical concepts in a non-technical way or for non-technical people is a really good skill. And actually, if you can demonstrate that in your CV by helping people to understand what you did, even though it was technical or even though it was in an area that a lot of people don't know, like that, that will look really good. Okay. There's one more kind of consistent error I want to touch on because in, when we were prepping for this episode, you mentioned LinkedIn applications. Talk to yeah. me about that because they're um, super easy, but I've never got a job through one. There might be a so reason. LinkedIn application. I've got a job through LinkedIn application actually, um, but obviously well, I supposed to. You, I kind of my CV. <laughs> um, but LinkedIn has this function and other platforms have this function as well. It's not just LinkedIn, but LinkedIn has this easy apply function where rather than submitting a CV, you can just apply with your profile. And it's, it's really easy to get into a really lazy trap where you see a job, you think, oh, I'll just apply with my profile. And all it sends is anything you have on your LinkedIn profile. So if you've just got your jobs and a line or so about what you did, yeah, you've applied and they're going to see your profile and, you know, they're going to look at your LinkedIn and they're going to think, okay, I can only see the jobs that you did. And unless there's something amazing there, like unless you worked at their competitor and you know that you're in a very comparable role or something and they want to get to know you, there's extra incentive. They're not going to look past that because you haven't given them any information besides your job title. If you have a very comprehensive LinkedIn profile, which kind of works as a CV where you have kind of listed out your duties, explain the roles, speak about your achievements, all of that other kind of stuff, then fine. But most people don't. So applying with your profile without attaching a CV or without doing anything, is just that for me, it's a waste of time and it will be a waste of time for you because it won't go anywhere. Okay, so just to kind of put a bow around that quick section about some of the the rookie areas, uh, the rookie errors that some people are making. So 
not investing enough time in your CV and thinking about it from the perspective of the person who's actually got to read this. Is it interesting? Is it telling the right story? Is it showing them that I'm competent enough or worth getting on the phone to? And then the next thing really is when you're using the easy apply functions through whichever app you're using, but LinkedIn is possibly one of the bigger ones for this. Make sure that the information you're sending over is detailed and truly represents you as a candidate. Because I know for a fact there are some super talented people listening to this right now who their LinkedIn hasn't changed since they were forced to make one in uni. That is not going to help you get a 50K plus job <laughs> saying that you graduated from ex uni in 2012. That's not going to help you. So next thing to talk about, I guess, is how much does relevant experience really matter? Um, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but it will be specific to the role. There's some roles where you can't do it unless you have um, a, a rec the requisite experience because of the level of risk involved or because, for instance, in some organisations, they may not be able to support you in the learning. And there's nothing worse that you can do then take somebody into a role that they can't do and not be able to provide them with training um, and support. So um, it depends on the role. But um, relevant experience doesn't have to be very specific experience. And this is something that people often like overlook. And so it stops them applying for roles, which actually they are very, they could do and they are competent enough to do. Relevant experience um, can just mean, you know, you've done something which enables you to which has enabled you to develop the skills which you need in this role so I was saying for instance I used to be um, a tax advisor or a tax consultant whatever you want to call it and I used to work with clients they used to come to me with problems they would say hey you know this is happening can you solve this and can you tell us can you advise us tell us what to do um, I had to do like the billing for them as well I had to you know go and meet them for lunch do like you know the um, whole stakeholder management piece and then I had to make sure that you know I answered their questions in a way which they could understand and they could go and tell the other stakeholders in their business and all this other kind of stuff so that was mainly in tax right which is why I um, studied to be a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor when I was moving into HR now I didn't think, oh, I have nothing. I haven't done any real HR work. I just thought, okay, you know, HR is a lot about stakeholder management. What happens in HR is a lot of time people come to you and say, hey, this is the situation we're in or this is the situation my team is in. Please can you advise me on what to do? And then you have to start in a very um, delicate time a lot of the time we're in a very in very emotive situations you have to advise you have to say okay this is what you need to do um you need to have the emotional intelligence to be able to judge when is the right time to speak and when is it the right time to listen which actually if you've done consulting you're all over sometimes you let clients speak um you have to build relationships all of that other kind of stuff right um having to do billing it helps you to be like financially literate so when you're putting a business case together for in hr to say okay i want to roll out this new program you can say this is what the financial impact is going to be and you can use those kind of um those number skills in other places so that is relevant experience people will think it's not because actually i wasn't an hr advisor or i wasn't an hr manager somewhere else but it's very relevant experience and when it comes to transferable skills, there's so much. I always tell people customer service in HR. If you can't get a job in HR and you're like at the beginning of your career, go into customer service and you, you can really learn a lot from customer service that can be applied in HR. So it's, relevant experience is important, right? But depending on the role, it doesn't have to be specific, exact same experience to the job that you're applying for. You know, again, if you're going to be a doctor, you know, you need to have done your training hours, same as being a lawyer or something like that. And again, when you're more senior, you need to have a bit more relevant experience so that you can guide those who work under you. 
but it's not the be all and end all. I would much rather have somebody in my team who hadn't done the exact thing I was um, trying to get them to do, but they could, if, if I knew that they could learn that fairly quickly, but they had, you know, the stakeholder management skills, they had the communication skills, they were very commercial, they understood how finance works and they could talk to, talk to me about, you know, a profit and loss and all of that other kind of stuff. That would be, that for me is more valuable than somebody who, you know, did an employment law course three months ago, you know, because they can learn employment law in their spare time. Um, but different organisations take different approaches and some will just want you to do, have done the exact same role before, but the more imaginative uh, organisations will be open to um, learning what you could do. Okay. I heard this phrase somewhere before that skills pay bills. Does that sort yeah. of, is yeah, that sort that's... of where we're talking about where the relevant experience thing isn't super crucial, but it's the, it's yeah. the skills you've developed and the story you tell based on that? Yeah, it's exactly that. Skills pay bills, right? So if you have, if you have good skills, you'll be able to apply them where you need to apply them, right? You might have some skills, like I have um, some people in my organization who used to be like math teachers and are now recruiters, right? Like, and you feel like, how was that even relevant like how did you even do that but there were lots of skills that they used in being a math teacher and there's lots of process involved in math and there's lots of process involved in recruitment if you're going to go and find a candidate there's lots of systems and stuff that you need to use and it is if you're good at process you can be very good at recruitment so people feel like okay well the two things are completely unrelated but when you look at the underlying skills that are um involved in the job then you get to know and a tip that I would give people um, before you start applying for a job you always need to do research not just research on the company that you're applying for but research on the role so go into LinkedIn or go onto Indeed and look at the kind of key skills that they're looking for um, and you'll start to see this if you look at like four five ten adverts you'll start to see the same kind of key skills key skills coming up and then your job is then to think about your career and think about when did you use those skills and then you draw those skills out in your applications in your CVs, your interviews, etc. Okay, and it's interesting that you give the example of um, you give the example of someone who's done some like yourself. You were in the finance before, and you managed to translate that. Because, and in my current job, I work with someone who used to be an Uber driver, and now he's a software engineer. Like he's a front end, not software engineer. He's a front end developer on a website. And it's the transferable skills in that situation is that. Not only is he able to work independently, which is what a lot of development roles are, where you've, you're set a task and you, you get to it because he did it as an Uber driver. He was by himself doing his work. But he's also now got the skill and rapport to communicate that to people who aren't technical. And yes, he had to get a technical experience to, um, to learn how to code. But now everything he did as, a, as an Uber driver, so working independently, being able to speak to strangers and, and rapport and... Um, attention to detail because when you're driving 10 hours on a road you really need to pay attention to stay safe all of these things are now things that help him in this role so it's interesting to hear you say that and he's really good at what he does so good point on that when for some people listening to this I think it's they're thinking that this is a bit junior right this is not I'm looking for senior roles I'm maybe 10 years 15 years into my career if not more what, can I get, uh, what kind of things are going to help me get to the C-suite or to head of or director roles? And we've touched on a couple of them previously, but just, I just wanted to pull them out specifically. And 
Um, one of the things you said earlier was stakeholder management and the other was commercial knowledge. Talk to me about how those apply and how the, those would be exhibited for people in the middle, ma- in the middle management roles that want to get to the higher paying, more senior roles in their companies. Yeah, so when you're going from being like middle management to being senior management, a lot of the time, you know, when you're middle management, you're still doing some doing and some reviewing, right? Some of what you're doing is managing other people, but some of it is actually delivering on the job. When you get to being into a senior, a more senior level, then actually you spend a lot less time doing. You spend more time managing people to get the work done, to deliver to your stakeholders. You spend a lot of time kind of on stakeholder management. And so it's really important to be able to do that well because it becomes such a broad part of your job, you know, speaking to different um, parts of the business, understanding what their requirements are so that you can then feed that back to your team and make sure that, you know, you're delivering um, on the overall aims of the business. You know, you're more likely to be the person that goes into the, to the um the strategy meeting and informs them okay on on how the strategy is going to work or listens to how this listens to somebody saying how the strategy is going to work and you're the person who's responsible for taking the strategy and translating it into um operational activity and so you need to be able to communicate with those people you need to be able to understand the language that those people use you need to be able to build relationships with those people you need to have the confidence that when you speak those people are going to listen to you so moving from being a doer to being like a reviewer or an overseer is is the biggest part and having stakeholder management is very important in that and also having commercial awareness because you start to you know you start to take on a different kind of role when you're a senior management, you're driving the business. You're saying, okay, this is the direction that the business is going to go. Um, you're helping to inform that. And so you need to understand, okay, the business context, the, ec- the economic context, you know, the skills of the people in your team, what other departments are doing and how that's going to impact on you. You know, the thing that you're trying to do, can it work financially? What are the, what are the financial implications? You know, you're going to be in the room when they're talking about EBITDA and you need to know what that kind of stuff is. And you don't just need to know what that kind of stuff is if you work in finance. I work in HR and I need to know what it is. Um, There's no way that you can run like a business unit without being good at finance and understanding commercial um, awareness. And sometimes, um, sometimes people try to go into those senior management roles before they've, you know, they've done the work to make sure that they're competent and they're confident in that area. So when people start quizzing them about it, they're like, oh, I haven't done that before. It's fine that you haven't done it, but you need to understand it. So those are skills that you should be like really focusing on kind of as you try to transition. It's interesting when you say commercial knowledge, because at certain levels, I've heard commercial knowledge used and it's kind of understanding the industry, but commercial knowledge at a senior level is understanding the mechanics of the business from what I'm hearing. And so knowing where our profit drivers are, where, knowing where our cost centers really are and how that all comes together to help us grow as a business. That's what commercial knowledge means as you get more senior. It's everything. It's everything. So it's, underst- it's understanding the, the industry, right? So you imagine saying, okay, um, imagine trying to make a decision without understanding the industry or what the trends are in the industry. You're the person that needs to inform the business. So they say, should we invest in, in this product line? You say, actually, the trend is kind of moving away from that. What we're seeing is that people are, you know, betting on this product. So we should be now investing in this product so that in two years time, when it kind of booms, we're there. But you need to understand what the trends are in the, in the industry to be able to do that. You need to understand what the current financial situation of the business is to know if the proposals that you're putting forward are going to make sense. If, the business, if your business has a lot of cash, 
yeah, then maybe you can start talking about, okay, we can use it for these projects. If your business has just gone through a redundancy round, now is not the time to be talking about hiring 10 new people to do something. Maybe the cash is not there. So, and if you're in the room, <laughs> if you're in the room and, you know, you make those sort of suggestions, people think, were you were you here with us like do you understand what that means like where our conversion was 25 percent now it's only 15 percent it means that you know we're not being as efficient on cost and why is that um those sort of conversations you need to be able to participate in no matter no matter what part of the business you're in whether you're in hr whether you're in it whether you're in finance whether you're in ops whether you're in marketing any part of the business um as a senior person you'd be expected to be able to do that okay so would you say because I've heard this, I've heard this in conversation before that when you're like entry level in a business, you're doing well if you can answer twenty percent of the questions, but know where to find answers to eighty percent. When you're in the middle management section of the business, you're doing well if you know the answers to roughly fifty percent of the questions, but know where to find the answers. And as you get more senior, it's more like knowing seventy percent of the above and being able to call on the other thirty percent as and when required. Um, I think the best leaders that I've worked with, they, they probably, they cover the hundred percent, whether it's that they know a lot of it or that they're going to get it from their team. For me, it doesn't really matter. You need to know enough that you can, you know, you can have the, the required conversations that you need to have, like you need to know the numbers that you need to know for your meetings and the specific facts. And if there's a strategy meeting, you need to know what the strategy is. But actually, for me anyway, whether it's 50% or 70%, it doesn't really matter. As long as you have, you know where to get the answers in general, you can rely on your team. It's fine to rely on your team. And actually, if you're leading a big team, it's not necessarily reasonable that you're always going to be able to keep all of that in your head or even safe that you do so. So all the best people that I've worked with, they don't always have all the answers, but they know where to get the answers and they have a good team to rely on to help them to do that. But I don't know what the percentage is. Fair enough. Okay. So um, we've covered a lot in this section. So let's kind of wrap it up before we go to the second half of the episode. So um, when it comes to applying for roles, be mindful about what your recruiters are looking for, what it is that's going to make you stand out. So, have you convinced them that you're competent in this role? Are you the type of person that on the phone, in person, you're showing that you're going to be great to work with? Are you establishing that rapport? Are you building those relationships? Because this is your first role in the business. It doesn't have to be your last. And then also, are you showing how flexible and adaptable you may be? Do you have varied experience? Have you, have you tried different things in your previous employment? So, Something simple like were you part of a did you did you take leadership in like a in an employee network whether that's maybe women or disability pride or whatever it is that shows that you're adaptable and you've got skills in different spaces how do you evidence that in your CV and then if you can bring all of that together you might be a really exciting candidate to interview then from that point onwards avoiding the errors that people make so a slightly sloppy CV so where it looks like you've just sort of copied and pasted and it's it's a habit to get into because finding work and applying for jobs is a job in itself and we kind of want to make things easy and systematize it but there is a requirement for adaptation and tailoring to make sure that a person who's going to see your CV who's going to see your application knows that you're competent rather than just thinking why have I even received this and 
as you progress, there's, you're going to get asked about relevant experience, what you bring to the role. And it's more about emphasizing the skills that you have and how they're applicable to the situations you're going to find yourself in in this new role. And that requires research and that requires reflection of what you've actually done. Because if you've been in a role for a long time, chances are you just do stuff on autopilot. Most of us are not keeping a work diary and making notes of our successes on a month to month for a year by year basis. So it's important to take the time to reflect before you even start putting your applications or CVs out there to know what are my receipts? How have I managed to be employed for so long? What made me good at my previous role? And then for those of you going for senior roles or have ambitions of going for senior roles in the future, <sighs> stakeholder management, I cannot emphasize it enough, is the bane of my life personally. I'm not senior yet and I'm still figuring it out. Managing those relationships, keeping them in the loop, engaging with them is going to be a big, big part of your role because when, as you transition from more junior roles to more senior roles, you're less operational. And by that, you're not the one doing all of the work. You're making sure all the work gets done. You're basically looking after the project of whatever your department does. The next thing is commercial knowledge. Do you understand the business? Do you know how what you're doing fits into what the business is trying to achieve? Do you know how to take strategy and translate into action that your team can deliver? Are you showing that you're competent not just in this role but competent in in contributing to the business as a whole because your piece is a is a complementary piece to many other elements of the business and how does the business sit within the industry and what does the decisions you make on a day-to-day basis impact to that positioning and how you grow and excel so like i said that was a mouthful if i didn't say at the beginning this is a pen and paper episode so feel free to take some notes rewind and listen again because because lola's dropping some gems for us but in the second half the gems are going to keep coming where we talk about some of your dilemmas and some of the scenarios that you found yourselves in and how you could navigate those so stay tuned and we'll be back after the break if you have any questions or dilemmas that you'd like to have featured on our podcast or on our youtube channel go to blackmillennialmoney.com click the contact page and send it to us Names will be changed or kept anonymous unless you say otherwise. So we are back for the second half of this episode where we're talking about making money, leveling up your career and changing jobs. So the second half is all about dilemmas and scenarios that the listeners like yourselves have been sending over to us in preparation for these episodes. If you'd like to be part of that, head over to blackmillennialmoney.com, hit the contact page and send us, a, send us an email through that or head over to Instagram, which is BMM Global, and send us a DM. So some of the people who have done that is the first person we're going to read about. So Jermaine. So Jermaine is in Florida. Shout out to our US audience. I keep telling people we're global, but you guys, we're global. We're doing things out here. Thank you for listening, Jermaine. So your dilemma says, hi, Joseph. I'm 25 and graduated from college last summer. Um, And I think college is uni in America, right? presumably for 25. Yeah. So hi, Joseph. I'm 25 and graduated from college last summer. There are basically no grad jobs. My employer for my part-time job went bankrupt. I'm optimistic about the future, but right now I don't know what to do. Should I just cancel 2020 and start in 2021? Lola, what's your take on that? (laughs) I mean, it sounds to me like you're saying, should I give up? And so hopefully I wouldn't have to say this, but no um number one with the illness yeah that's going around everybody keeps acting like it's going to expire 
at the end of the year. We don't know how long this thing's going to be around, what, you know, 2021 is going to look like, whether it's going to be any better or any worse than things are now. I mean, I pray, like I'm hoping that it's going to be better than things are now, but we don't know. What we do know is that we're in a situation where jobs are, are, are hard to come by to an extent, but there still are jobs, right? So you said there's no grad jobs. There are some grad jobs, right? Um, and there are definitely less of them. There are definitely less, uh, there's less confidence in the market, so there's less people hiring at the moment. All it means is that the competition for those jobs that there are is much higher. And if you're not in it, you can't win it. So the answer to like, should I give up? No. Should I wait until 2021? No, because people are not waiting, they're applying. And those people that are applying will get the jobs that there are now. When people tell me I've tried everything, I'm like, have you tried everything? There are different things that you can try. If you're, you know, have a look at your CV. I have a video on that, which I'm going to plug later, I'm sure. Uh, you know, look at your look at your CV. Think about, you know, is it doing everything that it's supposed to do? Get somebody else to read it. Speak to people who are in the industry that you're trying to get into and ask them if they can look at your CV. There are lots of really nice people who will do that for you. You know, and when for me, when you're looking for a job, you act like it is your job. And so I'm saying if I'm looking for a job, I'm looking for a job from nine to five. I'm on the phone. I'm sending emails. I'm researching. I'm reaching out to people on LinkedIn. If you're not doing all of these things yet, then that means that, you know, there's still a lot that you can do before you're exhausted, before you've tried everything, you know, and then, you know, start thinking about um, the what you're doing now and what, what you're trying to get into rather and what else you could be doing in the interim which is maybe not exactly you want what you want to do but will allow you to get some of the skills to support you in your future career so kind of like what I was saying earlier when I said okay let's say you're looking for a job in HR you can't get a job in HR you may be able to get a job which has a customer service focus and in that customer service job you can you know further develop those skills which will support you within HR so um for me no Jermaine definitely don't give up you need to get innovative you need to get creative start thinking I'm not saying go and stand in a station holding your CV because I'm not about that but definitely you know reach out to people you know go on LinkedIn if you haven't used LinkedIn in a while reach out to your network say hey you know depending on you know, if you guys are allowed to go out in Florida, do you want to go get a coffee? Do you want to have a virtual coffee? I'm thinking about this. Can you give me some advice? I know you're not hiring at the moment, but I'd be, you know, happy if you could keep me in mind for these sorts of opportunities. And people will. So when confidence picks up, when a vacancy appears, you know, they will think about you. So it may be at the, it may mean at the moment there's not something right now but you can definitely be laying the foundations and having the conversations which mean that when things are better you're in a better position to um capitalize on those opportunities perfect and just to kind of summarize that i think what lola is really saying is get active and stay active and i think me and lola around about the same age we both left university a couple years after the last recession and the streets were not were not paved with gold so for me, my first job, I was working in a train station, but that's helped me get into what I'm doing now because it's one of the things that employers often don't like is gaps. And if you, if you say that you're waiting for four or five months before you start applying for work, it may take you three months to get a job. And it's like, okay, so what were you doing for seven months? Yes, you were applying for work, but did you not have any? So not having any job is probably worse than having a job that has nothing to do with what you want to be in the future and 
as someone who's just left uni, one of the first things you really should adjust to is the idea of going to work every day, because that in itself is a madness that some of us are yet to understand in our late 20s and early 30s. So <laughs> like getting into that routine of being somewhere every day, nine o'clock, seven or eight hours a day is a, is a skill and something you need to become accustomed to in of itself. But Lola, you were saying. Yeah, I'm, I was just going to add to that, right? So um, a really good thing that I did. So when I was transitioning from um, from being a tax advisor into HR, I secured a role as an HR manager. But the company I was in, they weren't moving quickly enough for me. I didn't feel like I was learning um, as quickly as I could be. So I started reaching out to charities and I said, hey, I'm an HR person. Do you need some HR support for free? And, um, you know, a lot of charities, they have really lean teams. They don't have a lot of excess cash. And so they were like, they were jumping at the opportunity. And so that's something that I always encourage people to do when um, they're looking for a role and haven't found one yet. You know, let's say you wanted to work in in marketing yeah, or social media marketing. Um, you could reach out to some charities and say, hey, I'm currently available. Um, I wonder if I could be like a volunteer with you. I could do two days a week and I could help you to in- increase your social media presence. I could manage your Instagram account, your Twitter account. I could do some posts for you on LinkedIn. There is no reason for that company to say no. Yeah. And that way, you know, in this period that you're out of work looking for a job, you're building those skills. So let's say a role comes from like for like a junior um, social media marketer. You've spent this three months or this four months, you know, looking for a role, but also, you know, building skills, actually doing a job. So you can put that on your CV and you'll definitely stand out versus all the other people that weren't doing that. So, you know, on top of looking for a job, you have to be creative in times like this. Like these are the times which we learn you know, that things don't come easy and we can either, you know, put up a fight or we can just kind of like let the illness, you know, overcome us and, um, you know, wait for a job to find us, which it may or it may not. And that, But that is a really good tip you've just shared because there's so many benefits of doing that. You're building experience, but also now you've got a reference you can use for your future job. And maybe as things start to change and they try to get some more funding, they offer you the money. They're like, okay, how much can we pay you to come and do this two or three days a week or maybe full time? So it's a really interesting opportunity. And also, I used to work in the charitable sector. I know they're cash strapped at the best of times. Right now, some of them are trying to figure out just how to stay open. So great opportunity. And they've got roles in all sorts of spaces, accounting, program management, um, marketing. Everything. They've got literally everything. Charities have operations to run, so they literally have everything. And, you know, if you can provide some support to them for free, most will jump at the opportunity. And smaller charities, I'm not saying go to Cancer Research and be like, hey, can I work in your head office? Because they might be, you know, fine in that area. For the smaller local charities, um, which have less funding and less employees, yeah, that's definitely something that I would explore. Yeah. Although, and this is going to sound bad, but for your experience, I wouldn't necessarily go too small you're looking around about £250,000 a year in turnover. So check out the Charity Commission website in the UK and there may be a similar version in the US to find out how big a charity is because to be fair, they might want social media, but it may not be on the scale or they might want legal or accounting support, but it may not be on the scale that's actually beneficial to your skill set. So that's something to consider. I'm trying to remember the name of this thing. I think it's called Reach Volunteering, right? So it is called Reach Volunteering, and that's in the UK as well. I don't know if it's outside the UK, but definitely they it's a volunteer portal, and they have not just, like, 
they have ops volunteer jobs, finance volunteer jobs, HR, like anything, you know, marketing volunteer jobs. So check that out if you're in the UK and possibly overseas. And I know we're saying volunteering and we're trying to stop black people working for free, but that doesn't mean you can't keep your job at Sainsbury's, Asda or in the US Target and do this yeah. two days a week thing. That's what I was doing. I was working and I was working full time when I was doing it. And I would just, you know, they would email me throughout the day in the evening. I'd pick it up. They might say, oh, can you have a review of this contract or look at this handbook? And that's what I would do. So it's something to do whilst you're looking for work. It's not something to do instead of. It's, you know, this, the moment you get a job, you can say, hey, I, I can only do this, you know, in the evenings now or I can't do this anymore. It's definitely not something to be, um, you know, to say I'm just going to volunteer because we all have to eat. Exactly. So, Jermaine, hopefully that was useful, but we are moving on to the next dilemma that we've had in. And this one is, this one's, this one's a little tough. Um, it's been sent in anonymously from someone in London. And they've said, I need, I need help. I've been made redundant. I have a wife and a two-year-old daughter. Furlough ends soon, and I'm applying for work and getting nowhere. I haven't told my wife, and I would rather go to her with good news that I've found another job. How do I get back to work fast? I work as a business analyst. Uh, I'm going to go first on this one, Lola, if you don't mind. But tell your wife. Tell your wife. Just like it will make your life so much easier. Um, We've had an episode of financial infidelity. We're not trying to repeat. No, tell her. Tell her. And you two can figure out together. But Lola, career advice. (laughs) Listen, that's that's the first thing I was going to say. Tell your wife, and not because you know about financial infidelity. That's not good either, right? <laughs> but the reason I say it's not good, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, that's not good either. But the reason I say tell your wife is because, as I said before, you know, looking for a job is a full time job within itself, and or that's the way you should be treating it, you know. And it's very difficult to do a job if you have kind of worries and fears and anxieties hanging over you. Some of them you won't be able to get over. Like, you know, the fact that you're out of work is going to be a stressor. It's going to cause anxiety. But the fact that you're holding it in and not telling your wife is going to be adding to that anxiety. So if you can lift that burden from yourself, it's probably going to make you more productive in your job search. Right. So that's the very first thing that I would say in terms of getting back to work quickly. It just depends on on um you know what what you want to do you know is it do i want to get back to work quickly and i'll do anything because i need the money and we're kind of cash strapped or is it you know i would like to get to work as soon as possible but i really want to stay within a ba role business analyst or at least the way i way i know business analyst it's such a great role right the kind of stuff that you do um within a business there's lots of transferable skills you have to work with a lot of people you have to be able to understand data which is you know let us say data is um is more valuable than oil now apparently so yeah it's like working with oil um you have to be able to understand data you need to be able to you know draw insights from data you need to be able to communicate that to people you need to be able to manage stakeholders customer service all some other kind of stuff so as a business analyst if you're a good one i hope you are anonymous um you should have all these skills right so you the, the options are of course start applying for jobs before before you're, you start applying for the jobs, do the research, do very, you know, tailored CVs, applications, do the stuff that I mentioned in the the last dilemma, reach out to people, you see a company is advertising a role, you feel like you can do that role, you see that, you know, uh, 
go to the reach out to the head of BA or whatever and say, hey, I've seen that you're recruiting for this role. Um, I'm really interested in the role. I've sent my CV over, but it'd be great if we could grab a coffee or have a quick call. A lot of people won't ignore those. You know, they'll think, oh, this person's really proactive. I've had people do it with me and I'm like, hey, this person's really proactive. Yeah, for sure. I want to meet you. Um, if, even just to see like if you're a good candidate or not. So, and then you can start looking at, um, you know, other things that you could do, lots of transferable skills. So outside of uh, business analysis, there could be other things that you want to do. So start thinking about, you know, what those things are. Start looking at the jobs that they, they have available um, and start thinking, okay, what are the skills that these, all these jobs, these jobs that I'm interested in want and how can I demonstrate them? And then, of course, you know, there's the part where you just think, okay, I need a job. And you look at the jobs that are available. Loads of people have gone to like working in like supermarkets or driving delivery vans. And actually, again, if you can find a job which maybe isn't exactly what you want to do, but is going to help you to build your skills, then definitely do that. Like, I'm not, I'm not one of these people. Like, I'm, I'm not precious. If I lost my job today and I, and I had to do something else, I would, you know, work wherever I needed to to make sure that I could pay my mortgage. So that is going to be the first and foremost. I know you said, I think you said, um, had a two-year-old daughter. So again, prioritize. It may be the case that you need to prioritize money over your dream job at the moment. But have a think about what those decisions are for you, and then you know decide appropriately how long you can wait whether you need to get something part-time now and, you know, what you can do within your network to give yourself the best opportunities, but tell your wife. Very solid on that. <laughs> tell your wife. Yes. Tell your wife. Very solid with that. And some people may be worried about taking quote unquote lesser jobs now, but employers are going to be very understanding because the whole world is being affected by the illness. If you've For got, sure. if you've got sure. 18 months of Deliveroo or Uber Eats on your CV, that's 18 months of you actually showing that you're willing to do what it takes. And that's the way, that's the way you spin it in an interview. Like, yes, the world turned on itself and I was doing my best to find work, but I was committed to actually keeping things going. There's a story there. It shows character. It shows personality. It's very respectable. Yeah. That story, that word story that you mentioned is it. It's the story. There's like, we I've interviewed people recently who are just unemployed, you know, not because they're not good. And usually you start talking about, oh, how long is your notice period? But these people are available. They've been available for months and they're available because their organizations have gone through redundancy rounds and they've had to let them go. I'm not looking at those people like, oh, well, you don't have a job. Why don't you have a job? You, you wouldn't be good. In a really buoyant economy, if someone's out of work, you're thinking, okay, there's lots of jobs around. How come you're out of work? You start to ask those questions. People haven't been hiding under a rock. If someone tells me I'm, you know, doing this role at the moment, I'm working in Tesco, working in Sotheby's, working in Asda, or I'm doing PA work or whatever, even if you used to be the CFO, I'm going to respect it. And any employer or any person that doesn't is, to be honest, trash. So it doesn't matter. But eat, eat for, survival is always the first thing. So survive and then thrive. You know, to get a job that you can do now and that's going to help you to keep money in, that might help you feel more comfortable to tell your wife you know, it's not all doom and gloom. And then, you know, whilst you're doing that, always make sure that you ring fence separate time to look for work. Sometimes what happens if you do take a lesser job, if that thing, if that even exists, um, then you can get a bit sucked in and you don't necessarily have time to look for um, the kind of work that you want or the kind that's going to sustain you in the way you need to financially. So don't get sucked into that trap. There is getting sucked in, but there's also getting too comfortable. Okay, I've got a steady check now. And then two years later, you're still doing what you you said was a was an I mean, emergency job if, if someone's happy listen i don't 
I don't necessarily know if I agree with that because I know for myself, if I'm doing a job that is not what I want to do and it, and it doesn't pay me what I need, there's no way I can forget. I can't get something like I, I can't pay my bills in it. If you can pay your bills and you know, the job is fine and it's okay for you, even though it's not, you're not reaching your potential. That's fine. There are pe- some people, some people, some people like that. It's not what I would want personally, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with the narrative that sometimes people get comfortable. You can't get comfortable no. if you can't eat. Okay. Just to clarify that came from a specific experience when I was working at a business, I won't name, but, um, this person kept telling me, oh yeah, I graduated in this and, and I was working there and then I lost my job and now I'm here, but I still want to get back into it. I was like, okay. So, and they were asking me for help and advice. I was like, well, I'm in the same boat as you because I'm here, but I'm applying for this, this and this. Um, and a person was like, yeah, I haven't applied in four weeks. And then I so, so, so you're not serious. Stop acting like you don't want to be doing what you're doing and just double down on it. You might actually get a promotion in what you're doing and your life could be on a whole different trajectory. That's what, that's what I meant by um, the getting comfortable thing. It's not to say that absolutely do what makes you happy, but at the same time, if this isn't what you want to do, truly make it not what you want to do and find, find a way out. And on that front for, for anonymous, I guess we're calling the person anonymous. Um, Something that has been a personal experience for me is I've been looking for freelancers right now to help me on a project outside of Black Millennial Money. And um, I've gone on websites like Upwork and Fiverr as well, but mainly Upwork because generally speaking, you get better quality people on Upwork. And these people are telling me they're busier than ever because all of the businesses that are letting go of people, they still need certain jobs done. And you're going to be a highly skilled person in a certain space that a business may not be able to afford to keep full-time, but if they can buy your labor by the hour and you can make, like, if someone wants you to review a report and you say it's going to take four hours and it's going to be £40 an hour, that's £160. If you do your calculations at a previous job, you may not be making £160 a day. And you may find that you can pick that up from reviewing one report on Upwork. So if you're struggling right now, this is for Anonymous and anyone else, look out for those people because look out on Upwork and those experiences because it's stuff you can put in your CV for sure. It's actual paying work. It's in the space you want to be in. And it can actually give you a level of independence and comfort. That means, you know what? Making good money freelancing. I'm actually getting exposure to companies that I may not have considered working for before because what happens in a lot of cases is that you look at some of the best freelancers and they've had one project that paid them £5,000. That wasn't paid at one go. This person actually was working with this company for two years in a freelance remote basis but that gives you the buffer potentially to actually cherry pick what you want to do and then as you find your future role you've got the opportunity to keep this going on the side and bring in additional cash for what you would have been doing anyway and now you've got that safety net because none of us predicted the illness and none of us will know what 2021 or 2022 holds for us so it's important that we maintain a safety net like we always talk in Black Millennial Money about that emergency fund, but also that emergency income source. Because once you've got the emergency fund in place, once you've spent all the emergency fund, you now need to get some emergency cash into the bank. Mm. So ideally, if you've got this thing on the side... Gigs makes sense. Exactly. The thing on the side... Maybe it may become the main thing. it It may bounce between the main thing and the side thing, depending on what life throws at you. So 
anonymous i hope we shared lots of insight there for everyone else that's listening um please send in your dilemmas we are happy to help um lola's finding this out right now but hopefully she sticks around to do some more dilemma episodes in the future so if you've got any career related questions um we would love to have lots of things for lola to comment on in the future so please send them over can i can i just add for jermaine and anonymous and anybody else who is listening um it's a really tough time uh in the economy in the world we all know what's going on um it's gonna take time right and um and I speak to a lot of people every day who have been made redundant and lots of people are getting disheartened and sometimes it makes it harder to look for a job. So like, it's just about knowing it's not about you, you know, people are getting disheartened, but there's, there's no, they shouldn't be because this is not a personal problem. You know, sometimes you tell me something and I feel like, yeah, that's a personal problem. This is not personal to anybody. And a lot of time, what we do at work is you know our self-worth and our self-confidence is linked to you know having a job and when we don't have a job it can really affect us in a, in a really negative way but nobody should be feeling that way at the moment because it's completely out of everyone's control what is happening and you know with the economy and stuff like that so I'm sorry to hear that's happening to you guys and I hope things get better soon absolutely and we wish the best for all the Black Millennial Money listeners, wherever you are, and hopefully we keep providing you with the gems you need to get to the next level financially, but also in life. So in the next section, we are going to be continuing to deliver on those gems by dropping some quick tips, and Lola's going to give you some next steps for you to carry out to make sure that you can continue making money, leveling up your career, and progressing. You may not know this, but we have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that makes it super easy for people to support creators. Here at Black Millennial Money, our mission is to reach millions of people around the world with life-changing financial information, and you can be part of that. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Black Millennial Money or click the link in the description to sign up and start supporting us today. We are back. We are listening to Black Millennial Money, and we are here with Lola from Adulting by Lola, and we are talking about careers. In this final section, we're going to give you the quick tip and next steps to help you really level up your career to take advantage of new opportunities, regardless of what the illness is doing to the world. So, Lola, what is the quick tip for the listeners this week? My quick tip is to have a skill section on your CV. That's a, a section where you could have maybe three columns and you can just bullet point your skills and experience so you can talk about you know methodologies that you know the fact that you've managed a team any languages that you speak if you know any software coding languages you know um any areas of expertise you can have maybe like 12 bullet points three columns four lines and it's a really easy way for a recruiter to quickly look at your cv and be able to get all of the key information in one go Amazing. Thank you for that, Lola. And you know what? I've heard rumors. This is actually, it's not a rumor. I have, a, I have another friend who works in recruitment. He used to work for a, a major sports fashion retailer. And one of the things that he said is that sometimes if you don't have the keywords in your CV, it never gets picked up because a lot of these things go through automatic like AI systems to see if your if you've got the right qualifications and the skill section will make it super easy for them to pick up some of those keywords or whatever the industry topics are so lola can you broaden can you shed some more wisdom on that 
Yeah, so a lot of applications or CVs will be put through an ATS, which is an applica applicant tracking system. And sometimes they'll search in ATS for certain skills or certain experience. And so if those keywords that they're searching are not in um, your CV, then it's unlikely that you'll be found when they're looking for that particular role. So definitely, even on stuff like um, if you upload your CV to Indeed or you know CV library, recruiters will look for skills. They'll search for you. They'll search for you. They're looking for you, but they don't know they're looking for you, and they won't find you because you don't have it in your CV. So if you put all those things, not only does it work as a visual aid for recruiters, it also works for um, the systems and softwares that they run your CV through. Awesome. So that would cover things like any additional qualification you've got, certifications, any software that you can use, um, even um, maybe depending on the role, the fact that you've got the maths and English GCSE, depending on the seniority it comes in, because some of those require those things. If you're an international candidate, what, um, what your visa status is, potentially having that in there, because that could be a requirement. So just, put, just putting in those keywords and making sure they're present in your CV, because sometimes who is looking, who is focusing on keywords when they're writing a CV? You are. That's the answer. You are, look, you are focusing on keywords when you're writing a CV from here on out. Okay, so um, that's the quick tip. And I like that, a skill section. I, I only added that to my most recent CV, which is how I got my latest mm -hmm. job. So I am testing And put it, it high up. So I would, I would put the skills section, um, key skills and experience directly after the personal summary because there's no guarantee that they'll get, they'll get down there. So they won't get to page bam. 47. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just put it there at the top so that they know, okay, you've got Prince 2. They know at the beginning. They can be like, oh, this person's got Prince 2. Let me keep reading because I need I, someone that has Prince 2. That reminds me, my Prince 2 expired. But anyway, we move. Um, so, Lola, what are the next steps that everyone listening now, the three things that they can do to level up in their career despite the illness? Um, now, more than ever, it's very important to plan your career, right? So what happens a lot of the time is we just kind of move with the tide we get a job maybe there might be a promotion you know that we're given or that you know we get or whatever but we we don't actually take the active steps to think okay where am I now where do I want to be and what's the gap here you know what's I'm a HR advisor I want to be an HR manager and then I want to be like an HR senior manager so you know what steps do I need to take in order to get here um, and then when you when you know where you're trying to go and you know what the gap is, then you're in a better position to be able to do the things you need to do to close that gap, get relevant skills, work on different projects. You know, if you don't know what what you're missing, you can't ask your manager, oh, can I work on this project? Can can next time this kind of query comes in, can I can I work on it? You know, you don't know what you need to be learning outside of work or inside of work. So planning your career is very important. You don't leave your house before you, you know, look at where you're going. You think, okay, I'm trying to get here. What's the best route to take? And that's the way you need to think about your career as well. Um, and lots of people are not doing that. So the moment you're actually planning your career, you're already 10 steps ahead of most people. So that's, I guess, the first thing. And um, the second thing is related. It is kind of investing in yourself and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go and spend ten thousand pounds to do a master's degree it means that you can be thinking okay what you know this these gaps that we're speaking about how do I fill them that could be listening to podcasts um when I moved into HR I was a little bit insecure about the fact that I didn't have the traditional HR route I felt maybe other people who have been working in HR longer who are HR managers may know other things that I don't 
So I listened to pretty much every HR podcast that was going, um, started learning, you know, reading a lot about employment law, um, watching videos, um, you know, reading certain articles and stuff like that. And I, I did that all in my spare time and it helped me to increase my knowledge. So even though I hadn't specifically worked on those things, when we got queries or stuff like that, I was able to act competently in those areas because I at least understood the theory, you know, getting stuff like getting a mentor that's also investing in yourself. If you know, okay, I'm struggling in this area, I can reach out to someone who's really good at that, ask them to be my mentor, they can support me in doing that. So once you figure out where you want to go and, you know, you kind of know how you want to get there, you start looking at the tools and resources and the people that you need to help you get there. And the third step, um communication right so you always have to be communicating um to those around you there's some very key people that are going to help you in your career obviously you are one of them you're the driver but there's other people on the bus you know keeping the you know helping you to navigate where you're going and stuff like that your line manager for instance time and time again i end up in situations where people said to me i wanted a promotion and i didn't get it and they didn't even know that i wanted a promotion and you know i have enough emotional intelligence not to say this but I'm thinking, okay, whose fault is that? <laughs> you know, there's no way that I could be going for a promotion and no one knows. You know, that's the first thing. Tell people what you want. You're an HR advisor. You want to be an HR manager. You know, the head of HR should know. You should say, hey, I am um, very ambitious. I would like to do this. Um, I'm thinking about the steps that I need to take in order to get there. What do you recommend? This is the person that's going to decide if you get it. So ultimately, they would know, you know, what they um, what skills and qualities that they want in that person and what what areas you need to develop in then you can go away and you can work on those areas and you can come back and say hey I've worked on those areas that you told me to work on you know I've done all these things and I think I'm ready for a promotion what are your thoughts um, and then you're more likely to get it because you've had that communication um, throughout and that's not just necessarily your line manager there'll be other people um, who sponsor you in your organization you know tell people what you're doing you know I I was very like, I don't even want to use the word humble because sometimes I, like, I think that word is like a plague, to be honest. Like, um, I, I, but I was very humble before. I felt like I didn't want to say too much um, at the beginning of my career. I was doing some really good stuff. Um, and I realized around me, other people were talking about the stuff that they were doing. And I feel like they were doing stuff that wasn't even as exciting or as cool as what I was doing, or they hadn't been working as hard and they get recognized for that. So I think shouting about your successes is really important. Communicate with those around you. Tell them um, what you're doing. A lot of the time people don't do that because they're worried about looking arrogant. Um, but for me, that's not a concern. You know, you're not necessarily saying, hey, I'm the best, you know, bask in my glory. You know, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. And you say, oh, um, I work, I've just got some feedback from the client. They said they really liked it. They said um, it was like the best that they had of the pitch and we're going to get the work. You might send an email around, you know, new win, guys. This is what we're doing, blah, blah, Just to raise your profile a little bit, let people know what you're doing. And then people will start to see, if you believe that you're a successful person, people will start to see you as a successful person, a confident person, a competent person. Um, and often what people do is they work really hard and like, you know, undercover and no one knows what they're doing. And although working hard is uh, important, working smart is more important no point in doing everything if no one knows okay so those are the next steps those are i'm just going to summarize those because those are some 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 real big steps that i even need to take and we've got the time to do a lot of this stuff now because nothing is open so um, and even if it is open you can't it takes ages for you to get in so step number one is planning your career don't let 
accident and chance and maybe ifs and buts be what's guiding your career, actually set yourself a North Star, set yourself a course. And to be honest, if you don't want to be the CEO of such and such, that's fine. But how do you get to a point where we can achieve that status that everyone loves comfortable? Whether you're comfortable at work, whether you're comfortable financially, whatever that means, what is that level? How do you get there, plot a path, make a deliberate step plan, step by step to get somewhere? Remember, a dream is just a dream. A plan has steps, actions, objectives, deliverables. You can have a dream, but it's not a plan and it's not taking you to your goal if you haven't got things that you have to achieve in order to get there. The next thing is investing in yourself and that makes all the sense in the world. And when people say invest in yourself, they usually mean go into your pocket. No, a lot of the time it's time. It's time. As we said, skills pay bills. And something that I personally try to do, I read at least 15 books a year. And I don't even know where this information becomes useful, but it becomes part of you. You now just become someone who knows stuff. You now just become someone who's got information. My cousin used to call me the information minister for this exact reason. I know a little bit about a lot of things. Not an expert in anything. But for you and your career, if you're in tune with a podcast, if you're reading the magazines, and podcasts specifically, Black Millennial Money is really helping you out. But if you're watching on YouTube and all these other things, and Lola has her own channel, Adulting by Lola on YouTube, where we're talking about HR and careers. If you're plugged into all of these things, if you know what the up and coming trends are, if you come across that really great article and like, oh, this could be useful for the team, send that email. Now you're the person that reads whatever magazine and is sharing knowledge with the team. That is impactful. That is powerful. That keeps you on the agenda. And the final piece is communicating. The next, the final step is communicating. Some of you are doing some incredible stuff. Why is it not on your LinkedIn? I've got a colleague who every time he gets a sales contract, so he'll be talking about signing this contract for six months. But the day it gets signed, everyone gets an email. Everyone gets an email so we know we signed, a new con- we signed up a new client. Tell your story. What you've got on LinkedIn, what you've got on your CV is representative of what you've been up to. If you can't find one good thing to post about what you've been doing on a monthly basis on, on LinkedIn or something to draw or reflect on, Maybe you need to reconfigure your approach to what you do or also actually keep track and look at your successes. So those are your next steps. Plan your career, invest and communicate your successes and communicate your desire to go further in your career. It's not arrogance, it's confidence when it comes with stats. If you can back it up, you're just telling the truth. If you're just bragging to people, yeah, now you're probably being arrogant. So That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much, Lola, for being on here. You are a career wizard. (laughs) You know your stuff. You're putting us on game. And people want to know. I'm sure I'm going to keep in touch. So other people want to know how to get in touch with you. Where can we find you? Um, You can find me on YouTube. So on YouTube, I am youtube.com. That's adulting by Lola. So it's adult, I-N-G, by Lola, L-O-L-A. Um, same on Instagram and Twitter. So if you want to watch my content, I create content about gaining adult independence and all aspects of growing up, stuff like careers, stuff like money. Um, I do a lot of HR content. Um, so check that out. If you leave me a comment, I'll always respond. Or you can drop me a DM on Instagram or Twitter if you have any questions. 
And as always, all of that is going to be linked in the show notes. So if you're watching on YouTube, it's in the description. If you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you can hear my voice, it will be in the description there. And if you can't find it there, head over to blackmillennialmoney.com, find the episode on our blog, and you will have all the details you require there. As always, always welcoming your questions and dilemmas. Send them over to us. Head over to blackmillennialmoney.com forward slash contact to do that. And our Patreon head over to patreon.com forward slash black millennial money to join the movement, support what we're doing here and make sure we can keep dropping gems of episodes like this every single week. Next week, we're talking about keeping money. Lola's not going to be here, but I definitely will with another illustrious guest. So you don't want to miss it. This is black millennial money. This is black millennial money, boy. This is black millennial money. 